There's an old Saturday Night Live skit where this woman goes in to see a therapist. And she goes in, she sits down, and the therapist folds his hands and says, so tell me, what seems to be the problem? And the woman kind of trembles and says, uh, I, have this, I have this fear deep down of being buried alive in a box. And I, I can't go through tunnels or, or be in an elevator or, or be in houses. Really, anything boxy, I just can't do. I can't be in. And I just keep thinking about this fear. I keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And it just makes my life horrible. What do I do? And the therapist looks at her very seriously and says, Okay, I have, I have two words for you. And I, I want you to take them out of this room and uh, incorporate them into your life. Memorize them and incorporate them into your life. And so she gets her notepad out, ready to write it down. And the therapist says, are you ready? She says, okay. Stop it! <laughs> and she says, what? what? What do you mean stop it? Stop it! I mean, stop it! S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Stop it! What part of that do you not get? Stop it. And the woman says, I, I can't stop it. I mean, this has been with me since childhood. And the therapist goes, no, 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 no. We, do, we don't go there. Just, just stop it. Just stop it. And she's like, no, but, but you don't understand my relationship with my father. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, we don't go there at all. We don't go there. Just, just stop it. And finally, it escalates it. And the therapist goes, stop it or I'll bury you in a box. The truth is that when it comes to so many of our most fundamental struggles, we just can't just stop it. This is why it would be really ineffective for me to stand up here every week and just tell you all what to do. We can't just say, uh, we don't go there uh, when we talk about the brokenness of our lives and just stop it. Put a, put a plug on it. Um, because if you ever want to recover, you actually have to look under the hood, right? Do you remember that oil spill in the Gulf several years ago? They kept trying to put caps on the oil spill, but the oil was gushing up from underneath so fast that uh, they just couldn't seem to get a cap on it. The force of it was so great. The human condition is like that. Sometimes we have these long-standing sin patterns and unhealed wounds, we have all kinds of complicated stuff about our family and our childhood that are quietly, subconsciously, behind the scenes, driving the way that you act. And it's, I have good news for you, it's actually even more complicated than that. Um, as part of my ordination process, there's a, there's a long, uh, kind of difficult process toward becoming ordained in the Anglican Church. And uh, I had something called a parish discernment committee. That's where a group of people from my church sat down around me and Jenna for, I think, four, was it four sessions? Um, and just grilled me with every possible question. Um, they dug way deep into everything. There were no secrets. And um, at the end of this, they validated my call. They said, we think you're called to do this. We want to recommend you to the bishop under one condition go to therapy. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I did. And I, I got in there. And, um, 
and the therapist started asking me about me, but she didn't just ask me about me, she also asked me about my parents, right? And she didn't just ask me about my parents, she also asked me about my grandparents. And guess what? She didn't just ask me about my grandparents, she also asked me about my great-grandparents. And a lot of therapists will start asking you about your great-great-grandparents and your great-great-great-grandparents. And if you really want to get to the source of the problem, you're going to have to go farther than your great-great-great-grandparents, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. You're just going to have to keep going back and back and back. Um, there's a good reason for this, actually. Patterns of sin and destructive behavior and, and patterns of wrong thinking and even fear get passed down between generations. Can I hear an amen from all the parents here? Um, they get passed down from generation to generation. So each of us has inherited a legacy of behavior and belief and even predisposition uh, from our parents and grandparents. And much of that legacy is not very good at all. Uh, a number of studies have actually shown that this happens even on a genetic level. There are a lot of studies in the field of epigenetics right now. That's the study of uh, which genes in your body are activated or not activated. And it has shown that intergenerational trauma can be carried through. So uh, what happens to your grandfather before, uh, before he gives, before your grandmother gives birth to you, may actually be transmitted onto your father or your mother and then onto you. It gets passed through the generations in our very bones. Um, many of us are caught in destructive patterns of behavior and we can't just stop it um, because the legacy that we've inherited binds us as a prisoner, right? Um, if you go and ask an addict, like if you go to an addict and say, just, why don't you just stop it? They're, you know, in their more rational moment, they might say, well, I'm addicted to this. I can't just stop it. Well, don't be addicted. Stop it. I don't think you understand what addiction is. I don't think you understand what it is to be bound in your will. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that free will after the fall exists in name only. In other words, none of us are free. We're all bound by our own junk that we're carrying with us. So this morning I want to talk about recovery. What does it take for this chain to be broken? This is a question of great relevance to many of us. What does it take for the chain of intergenerational wounds and brokenness to be severed, for this legacy to be healed. I believe uh, that it's actually possible for a person who is captive to their past legacy to actually get better and to enter into joy and freedom in life. And I don't believe that just because I went to therapy and that therapy is the magic pill. I'm a big fan of therapy, by the way. I think you should all go to therapy. But therapy is not the magic pill. That's not why I believe people can get better. I believe people can get better because of Romans 5. So our passage this morning outlines two legacies. We have the legacy of Adam that we're born with. You all have it. Everyone in this room has the legacy of Adam. 
And then there's the legacy of Christ that comes to us by sheer grace. So turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, if you have a Bible. Nicole kindly stated what page that was in your pew Bibles, and I forgot it. Romans 5, 12. Sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men, and ladies too, because all sinned. And then Paul reiterates this idea in the second half of verse 15. Many died through one man's trespass. In other words, if you trace your wounds and your sins back through the generations, past your great-great-great-great-grandfather or grandmother, past their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather or grandmother, you're eventually going to come to the origin of it. The first man, the first sin. Adam rebelled against God's command. We know the story from Genesis 3. He trusted in his own wisdom. He believed a snake instead of believing the creator of all things. Uh, And he ate the fruit of which it was told him not to eat. And Paul says that this first sin, this first rebellion against God, uh, was the gate through which uh, the plague infected humanity. And sin, then, was the gate through which death infected humanity. So the biblical claim is that humans were created for a destiny other than death. We don't, know, we don't know how God was going to work that out, but we were created for something more. We were actually created for immortality and life. Now, as a side note, uh, with more time, I would be thrilled to go into all the reasons why I think that we have good ground for believing in a historical Adam, um, a real historical person, and I'm not an ostrich who's buried my head in the sand uh, after Charles Darwin published uh, The Origin of the Species. There are a lot of uh, very thoughtful Bible-believing Christians who have engaged this subject with a lot of nuance and a lot of careful thought. So uh, if that's an intellectual block to you, um, I encourage you to talk to me later and we'll dig deeper into that question. But even if you don't agree with me, even if you're like, "Ah, I don't know if I can get on board with the historical Adam thing, fine, I'm just going to leave that be this morning. The main point here still stands, and that's this. The biblical doctrine of sin isn't just that you and I do bad things, which we do, amen? But also that we have actually inherited a legacy of sin and death. The great Christian thinker Augustine of Hippo famously said that we are non posse, non pecare. We are not able not to sin. Our wills are bound. Now, this is a very unpopular idea in the West. Uh, In the West, we like to think that we are autonomous individuals who are the masters of our fates and the captains of our souls and that we don't depend upon anyone else and that we're not connected to anyone else, that we are the rulers. Augustine says no. But this does raise a number of objections, right? Uh, What about newborn babies? Are they sinners? What about people who never received God's law, right? The righteous pagan from uh, some other nation. What about the folks before Moses came into the world who were just, uh, they they didn't get this law saying do not murder. So you can't fault them 
right? Are those people sinners too? Paul answers this in verse 13 to 14. Um, and I'm going to sum it up because we would spend all morning if we really wanted to break down Romans 5 uh, line by line. I, I looked at some several preachers who had sermons. I was looking for a good sermon on Romans 5, uh, this passage. And every preacher like broke it into a, seri- a chain of five sermons. It's like, thanks. It's really helpful. Paul says that sin and death are a kind of infection that you are born with. Um, So even if you haven't broken the law, that's the folks between Adam and Moses, if you're looking at your Bibles, even if you're a newborn baby and your tally of good and bad deeds in this world is presumably zero, zero, right? That doesn't change the fact that you are born with the infection. The litmus test is this. Are you subject to death? If you're not this morning, please come and talk to me. I would love to have a case study of you. Um, But if you're subject to death, then you are an heir to the legacy of sin and death. And so far, empirically, uh, the the rate has proven that um, newborns seem to be very innocent when they come out uh, out of the womb and then they turn three. Right, uh, and then um, and then the doctrine of total depravity turns out to be the only uh, do- Christian doctrine of which there is empirical proof all over the place. Right, um, it's very clear. Everybody who I've ever known who's ever lived um, has tended has come out and worked out sin very clearly in their lives. Right, I'm yet to meet anybody who's above the fray. So if, we're, if you're trying to think critically here, like, uh, is everyone in fact born with this infection? I think the answer we can conclude, connecting one and two, is yes, in fact, they are. Again, if you're able to show me an exception, I invite that. Uh, that's why just stop it doesn't work. If you want to talk about recovery, about healing from trauma, if you want to talk about overcoming addiction, if you want to talk about breaking intergenerational patterns of sin, something has to break the cycle, right? And that's why in all of this, in the world of recovery, we have to start by talking about the cross. Not where most people thought I was going with that. The gospel says that the solution is way bigger than the problem. And we just outlined that the problem is pretty big. Look with me at verse 15. If many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The cure is greater than the disease. In Christ, we have a new legacy, one of justification, one of righteousness, one of abundant grace. So if death reigned like a tyrant in Adam's legacy, in the new legacy, Paul says in verse 17, that those who receive the legacy of Christ reign in life through him. It's diametrically opposed. In the same way that disease and cure are diametrically opposed. 
Now, the concept that I'm outlining this morning uh, is called recapitulation. Recapitulation. I didn't title the sermon that because, let's be honest, that's not going to draw a crowd, is it? Um, an early Christian thinker named Irenaeus, he was a bishop in the early church, he put it like this. He said, Jesus summed up in himself, literally, he recapitulated, he gathered everything into himself, this long line of human beings. Your granddaddy and your granddaddy's great, 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 great granddaddy and all the rest in between and before. He recapitulated the long line of human beings and furnished us with salvation so that what we had lost in Adam, we might recover in Jesus Christ. That's a summary of Romans 5, 12 to 17. God knew that you and I needed a new legacy. So he took on flesh and blood and he redid the thing. He redid what went wrong. Think about it. You can see it in our gospel passage this morning, right? Adam, right, he's, uh, where is he? He's in the Garden of Eden, right? Surrounded by all this lush food. He's tempted by the devil. And what happens? He betrays God. He's unfaithful. The first sin. Our gospel reading today from Luke 4. Christ, is he in the middle of a garden? No, he's in a desert. And he hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's hungry. And what happens? The devil comes at him three times, the symbol of completeness, right? This is the ultimate onslaught. But at this critical juncture, this new Adam is faithful. Um, when I was a kid, my mom was always trying to teach me to do house chores, and I was never any good at it, and frankly, I'm still not. But, um, you know, if I, I'd go and it's like sweep the floor, right? And uh, I'd have my little broom. We got one for our son, Sam, now. And, and, you know, they sweep things around. And when a little kid sweeps the floor, what happens? It's just like the, the dirt gets, it's like worse than it was before, right? And so I, I always know that, like, my mom would quietly come in behind me with a real broom and sweep the floor so that it was clean. And it's like that. Christ lived this faithful life that Adam should have lived, and then he died this wretched death that Adam deserved to die. So there's an active obedience, and then there's a passive obedience as he died the death that we deserved. And in this recapitulation, this gathering all of the human story into himself, he actually undid Adam's legacy and replaced it with a better one. And that is held out to you as a free gift. Paul's obsessed with that phrase, the free gift. He repeats this five times in three verses. The free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift by the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Those who receive the free gift of righteousness will reign in life. Do you get a sense of how much this costs us? The new legacy isn't cheap. It's free. It's freely bestowed, freely offered. That's what grace is. 
Grace isn't cheap. Grace is free. For you and me, at least. To him, it was costly. I'm going to finish with a couple of brief words of application. Um, if, if you don't resonate with anything I'm saying about this intergenerational sin stuff, I recommend that you go to therapy um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and open up the hood a little bit. Um, because we all have it. Everyone in this room. Um, if you're a parent, this resonates deeply with me because I am a parent. Um, you don't have children who are free of original sin. So uh, if you shelter them from uh, all of the world and keep your own brokenness at bay, they will still be sinners. Your kids are sinners in need of grace. So parenting, this is something I'm learning the hard way right now, isn't about shielding your children from the reality that you are a sinner. It's not about avoiding the fact that you will, in fact, pass on your brokenness to them. You will. It just is a fact. But the way that we raise our kids in the faith, the way that we raise our kids in the gospel, is that we show them what it looks like to repent. We point them to one who can actually heal their wounds. That's what we do day in and day out, especially when it's hard. That's what they need. They don't need parents to tell them that they are unstained, that they are better than they think they are. What they need is a savior, just like you do. And lastly, um, if you are a person who is in recovery right now, um, maybe, maybe it's an addiction. Um, maybe it's a, a trauma in your past that plagues you and you wake up with it every morning. Um, maybe it's a tremendous fear of being buried alive in a box. Um, maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's a daddy hurt. We've all got it. Um, I want to say welcome to the club. Christians are, by definition, people who are in recovery, not people who have figured it out or gotten a lock on things. We are, by definition, people who are being healed, who need someone to re-sweep the floor for us because we messed it up. And so this is a place of healing. This is a place of service. We're a church that serves one another, that is sacrificial, but we're a place where we're broken and imperfect and we can heal. If we're not that, then we're all a bunch of liars. And if that's you this morning, I just want to remind you of the resource that you have on hand. You have a Christ who at great cost to himself not only showed you a better way, but came and lived it for you. He walked it for you and then gave his own life so that the fruits of his labors would be reckoned unto your account. We get to be wrapped up in his story, and that's a better tale. So I pray this morning, my wish for everyone in this room is that we would cling to this man. We would cling to Christ, because that is the only place where we will find life and joy and peace.
Amen.